welcome to the QuackCast 27, a review of Quack's Frozen Charlotte. Oh, blew it again. I mean supplements, complementary, and alternative medicine, i.e. scams. This podcast is dated July 2008 and will be an update on acupuncture and chiropractic. This is brought to you by Pusware LLC, the publisher of the Persiflasures Annotated Compendium of Infectious Disease Facts, Opinion, and Dogma. Your Uber hyperlinked electronic guide to infectious diseases available at pusware.com where you will find the Persiflagers podcast, a bi-weekly review of infectious diseases, CME accredited. As Thomas Jefferson said in a different context, ridicule is the only weapon that can be used against an unintelligible propositions. Ideas must be distinct before reason can act upon them. Well, these are all unintelligible propositions that I will be talking about, but my reason will act upon them. References are on the show notes page, and old podcasts are archived there as well, both in the MP3 format as well as the M4A format. Also, check out the Science-Based Medicine blog, where I am an occasional contributor. Remember my motto, the world needs more Mark Chrislip. And thank you, as always, to those people who send me emails and request that I make these quack casts available more often. While this appeals to my Zaphod Beeblebrox-like sense of grandeur, I'm putting these out as often as I can, but I do appreciate the support. And now on to the vicious screeds. Despite what should have been considered the definitive evaluation of chiropractic and acupuncture, for some reason, the world isn't listening to my podcast. Go figure. Despite my podcast, people keep on publishing scam articles, and then I have to read them and report them to my minions. Yes, you. You are a minion. Now, lots of crap gets published in the scam area. Mostly surveys. Lots of surveys. It's like everybody interested in scams secretly wants to host Family Feud. They pick some subgroup of patients and see what sort of scams they use. Use of alternative modalities and albino humpback midgets. Impact on cancer treatments. That would be a typical title. I'm not going to discuss these surveys. I want some articles with some meat, or for you vegans out there, some soy protein. I try and choose those studies that are interesting and shed some light into the topic of scams, and so that will be the purpose of the three articles I'm going to review today. First up, spy versus spy. I mean, placebo versus placebo. This article was published in the British Medical Journal and is available online. It is entitled Sham Device versus Inert Pill, Randomized Controlled Trial of Two Placebo Treatments. In this study, they took 270 patients with arm pain due to a variety of repetitive use injuries that was there for at least three months duration, and the patients all had pain rated greater than or equal to three on a 10-point scale. The diseases treated were as follows. Quote, participants could have any range of clinical diagnoses involving the tendons, soft tissues, and nerves of the arm or nonspecific symptoms related to repetitive movement or overuse. We excluded people with systemic connective tissue or muscular diseases, neurologic disorders, or acute trauma to the arm. This condition is the modern equivalent of weaver's hand, which I didn't know exist, sprout picker's thumb, which I didn't know exist, and scrivener's palsy, which, again, I didn't know exist. But in this case, most of these pain was due to repetitive stress from using a mouse or keyboard. Evidently, weavers, sprout pickers, and scriveners are currently in short supply. Although I will say here in passing that Scrivener is a good Macintosh writing program. In this study, 
patients were randomized to sham acupuncture twice a week with a blunt device that felt like acupuncture but did not penetrate the skin. They had t 5 to 10 needles in the arm and one in the foot. Or they had placebo once a day, which they were told to take at night as they were warned it may cause drowsiness. This was part of a greater study I will discuss next. At first, they were randomized to either sham, acupuncture, or placebo as part of a run-up to another study where they were further randomized to real, like there's such a thing as real, versus sham acupuncture or amitriptyline versus placebo for musculoskeletal pain. Amitriptyline is an antidepressant that at low doses has some effect on neuropathic pain that is independent of its antidepressant effect. So which worked better, patients getting fake acupuncture or patients getting fake antidepressant? The pain scores, the subjective findings, decreased more in the sham acupuncture group than the sham depressant group. The decrease was about 0.71 on a 1 to 10 scale in the fake acupuncture group versus 0.57 in the fake antidepressant group. This small change is what would be expected in most treatments of pain with placebo. And it wasn't much, as was admitted in the discussion. Quote, in this trial, the magnitude of the effect was small, end quote. Objective findings, not unsurprisingly, did not change in either group. They measured both grip, strength, and arm function. Again, this is what you would expect from placebo. There is not placebo effect outside of small pain effects. If there are objective endpoints to your treatment, then as a rule, placebo has no effect. And this was confirmed in this study. The other interesting thing in this study were the side effects where the patients were told in the informed consent what they might have if there was, emphasis here, if they had real therapy. Now, three of the fake antidepressant patients dropped out because they had dry mouth and fatigue, a known side effect from the antidepressants. And 10% of the sham acupuncture patients had increased pain after the needle was, quote, removed, unquote. So they thought the needle was in their skin and it hurt when they took it out. This is interesting. The side effects of the fake therapy were probably injected into the patients like a false memory. One wonders if the investigators suggested an outrageous side effect like shrinking genitalia if the patients would have reported that as well. More patients in the sham acupuncture thought they were getting active therapy, 75%, than those receiving sham amitriptyline, 48%. And if you believed that you were on active therapy, you had better subjective but not objective scores. If you believe the fake is real, and you're, then you were more likely to have both an effect and a side effect. Also, the sham acupuncture group had far more interaction with their providers with visits to their sham quack twice a week. So they had more chance of developing expectations important in placebo effects for pain. Again, this is my take on this study. There is no such thing as placebo effect, only a change in perception. Now you're going to argue that if they perceived that their pain was decreased, then it was decreased, and again, I cannot argue with that. But there was this interesting study recently where people were given the same wine, and they were told that it cost $10 or $90. And if they thought that the wine was the $90 bottle, they reported that the wine tasted better. Now, what they did in the study were functional MRIs on the patients, and when they had the $90 bottle of wine, which they did not have when they had the $10 bottle of wine, the part of the brain that deals with pleasure lit up. Now, the molecules in the wine did not change, and the information conveyed to the brain did not change, but the perception of the quality of the wine did. I think the same thing happens with placebo effect, so-called. No physical change, 
pain is unchanged. It is the perception of the pain that is changed. People have the result they expect to have as well as the side effect they expect to have. Now, people can talk themselves into damn near anything. A president, for example, can look at Iraq and see weapons of mass destruction. So thinking that you have less pain is a much less small step. Outside of alternative medicine, pain, and the Bush administration, perception does not alter reality. And don't give me that what the bleep do we know BS. So I'm sticking with my understanding that there is no placebo effect outside of a small change in the perception of subjective symptoms. Now, this same group of patients who are receiving placebo versus placebo were subsequently randomized further for a study. The, those who were on the fake acupuncture were then randomized to real acupuncture. Again, it's hard to say real acupuncture, which account for 61 patients, or fake acupuncture, which accounted for 60 patients. This article was published in the Clinical Journal of Pain, edited by the Marquis de Sade and entitled Acupuncture for Treatment of Persistent Arm Pain Due to Repetitive Use, a Randomized Controlled Clinical Trial. Now, how did they decide how they did the acupuncture? Well, they pretended that there was a rational reason for their use of acupuncture. I'm going to quote from the article. Acupuncture treatments focused on relaxing the muscles and opening channels to the circulation of what acupuncturists call qi. That's Q-I, not K-E-Y. Point selection in our study was based on the location of the pain, limitations to the range of arm motion, and local sensitivity to palpation. Local channel points proximal to the area of pain were combined with distal points that control the area of pain. Non-meridian local trigger points, ashi points, were included. To incorporate the acupuncture theory of opening the gates in pain conditions, all participants received needling on liver 3, a point near the big toe. On the contralateral, which is the opposite side of the affected arm, which was paired with the large intestine 4, a point on the hand of the affected arm. To continue the quote, a consensus team of senior acupuncturists selected 20 allowable acupuncture points based on the acupuncture literature. End quote. Holy Zeus. I mean, this sounds to me like nonsensical babbling. If you hurt, make sure you get that liver 3 point near the big toe. It sure does make anatomic and physiologic sense. I mean, how can people write this up with a straight face eludes me, and the people pay out of pocket for this boggles my mind. Now, they compared the real, as if there's real, acupuncture versus sham acupuncture, as in the prior study. And again, subjective symptoms improved, objective findings did not. And the funny thing in this study is that the sham group did better than the real group in the subjective pain scales. They got better faster and to a greater degree if they had the sham acupuncture. Now again, most studies have shown the equivalency of sham acupuncture to real acupuncture, but this is the first study to show that sham acupuncture was superior to real acupuncture. Now, I've been suggesting that people get sham acupuncture in these podcasts and it is, as it is cheaper and less likely to have a complication from a penetrating needle injury. Now, I can recommend sham acupuncture as superior. Now, the difference was small, and I can bet you that if it had shown that real acupuncture was better, they would have been trumpeting the effects of acupuncture for pain. But in this case, the hilarity begins. I mean, they do have to explain why fake acupuncture was better than real acupuncture.
So I quote the rationalization in its entirety. Reasons for the superiority of the sham acupuncture device during the incident are not clear. Yes, it is. Acupuncture doesn't work. One possibility is that treatment effects were blunted in the true acupuncture group because of the higher rates of side effects and especially mild pain during treatment, unknown and unmeasured. We speculate that this discomfort may have been due to some of the needle placements in the arm in close proximity to the painful areas. Then why do it in the first place? Another possibility might be that the sham device may have conferred genuine treatment effects because it was applied to real acupuncture points. What are real acupuncture points? How can you have real magic? This seems less likely given the results of another randomized clinical trial testing acupuncture in the treatment of fibromyalgia that found no significant differences between true acupuncture, non-insertive simulated acupuncture at true acupuncture points, and true acupuncture needling at non-acupoints. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do, you get the same piddly effect. At the end of the study, and before the results were known, some of the study's acupuncturists complained that the requirements of true and sham acupuncture be performed using identical methods. In other words, if you blind the study, acupuncture doesn't work. The real reason for the difference? Well, acupuncture doesn't do anything except alter the perception of pain, which at some level decreases the pain. If you say your pain is decreased, it is decreased, even if it isn't. The superiority of sham acupuncture is probably a statistical fluke in that if you compare two worthless interventions with a small number of patients, sometimes random scatter will show one to be slightly superior to another. Real or sham, acupuncture doesn't work unless you think it does, and then it barely works. Now, besides a lack of efficacy since my last podcast on acupuncture, there have been the following complications reported from acupuncture. A necrotizing infection of the aorta due to methicillin-resistant staph aureus and a case of listeria joint infection from acupuncture. As I have pointed out before, since most scam practitioners believe in magic as a cause of disease, why would you expect them to have any concept of germ theory? I mean, like evolution, germ theory is just theory, right? Right, Mr. Powers. A student of chiropractic did not approve of my analysis of the complications of chiropractic, especially as it relates to stroke. So he sent for my perusal the article, Risk of Vertebrobasilar Stroke in Chiropractic Care, Results of a Population-Based Case Control and Crossover Study from the journal Spine. And he sent it with the following message, quote, If you want to remain at all credible, please keep up with the data on the literature, specifically the new information coming out about stroke and chiropractic, i.e. that it is common to have a stroke at your MDs as it is to have one at your DCs. I do expect an update of this podcast, for without it, in my mind, you will have lost all credibility. End quote. Well, I don't want to lose any cred. Yeah, cred, street cred. And to think my 14-year-old thinks I'm clueless. I'm down with it, yo. Now a caveat. I am not an epidemiologist nor a statistician, but I play one on TV. I took and dropped statistics each year I was in college. Not that I was bad at math. I have four years of college-level math under my belt, but statistics were another thing altogether. It is said that three out of two Americans do not understand statistics, and I am one of those people. Doctors say that Norberg has a 50-50 chance of living, and there's only a 10% chance of that. 
The Naked Gun sums up my approach to statistics. But we have at Good Samaritan Hospital a bunch of real smart residents, and a few of them, such as the resident who is on my service, are trained in epidemiology. So I asked Dr. Prasanna Krishnamurthy, my current resident, to explain the article to me or flunk the rotation. So he did an analysis, and part of this is due to Prasanna, and he passes the rotation. But if he wants an A, my car needs some detailing. So here's what they did with this study. First, they found 818 patients with vertebral artery strokes on the basis of discharge codes. The vertebral artery, by the way, is the one at the base of your neck that feeds the back of your brain. So the first problem, discharge coding is not a reliable way to know the real diagnosis. So you don't really know what they had, and more importantly, you don't know the cause of their stroke in the study. I will say that often discharge diagnoses are our best guess, which is not often based on the strictest of criteria. And when people compare the real diagnosis to the coded diagnosis, they often have a poor correlation. At least in the United States, and this was a Canadian study, reimbursement is a art used to maximize reimbursement. Also, again, note that they had the diagnosis of stroke, not the reason for the stroke. And just so you know, for the elderly, the most common cause of stroke is embolic events, flipping little bits of clot to your brain. In the young, it is more common to have a tear in the vertebral artery as a cause of a posterior stroke. This tear in the artery, a dissection, is often the cause of stroke in young people and can be precipitated by trauma. And I would bet that the diagnosis is probably better in younger people than it is in older people with stroke, and that young people tend to get the million-dollar workup as they're not supposed to have a stroke, whereas if you have an obese, elderly, hypertensive, smoking diabetic with a stroke, well, you know, you might not get the precise diagnosis because, well, strokes happen in that population. And also of note, 818 vertebral artery strokes occurred in 100 million patient years in this study. So the stroke is not a common thing. This is important in that if you have a high background for vertebral basal artery strokes with emboli, which is a common cause in the elderly, you will lose the rare dissection as a cause. If you want to find a rare event like a dissection as a cause for stroke, the elderly may not be the best place to look for it as the noise from the embolic strokes will overwhelm any effects from the rare dissection. And the elderly looking for dissection based on stroke codes would be like looking for your cell phone at a concert hall by calling it while the Who is playing. Okay, the Who. I know they are old, but they did once get the record for the world's loudest band. My son says Motorhead is louder. I don't know. For me, the archetype loud band is the Who. Let me know what the world's loudest band is currently, if you have a moment. So, they compared 818 strokes to a control group in a case control study. Now, case control studies are good for a rare disease and a common exposure and can only establish an association, which is not, I always emphasize this, the same as establishing causation. They compared those that visited a chiropractor with those that visited a family practitioner over a month's time to see if it was associated with a vertebral artery stroke. And here's the conclusion from the abstract. Quote, VBA stroke is a very rare event in the population. The increased risk of VBA stroke associated with chiropractic and PCP visits is likely due to patients with headache and neck pain from VBA dissection seeking care before their stroke. 
We found no evidence of excess risk of VBA stroke associated with chiropractic care compared to primary care, end quote. So that's the conclusion in the abstract. Is this supported by the paper? Did anybody actually read beyond the abstract? Usually not. That's one of the reasons it takes so long to prepare these podcasts is you have to read every word over and over again and think about them, and that takes time. So does the body of the paper support the conclusions in the abstract? Well, yes or no. For patients over 45, there was the same association of vertebral artery stroke after visit to a chiropractor or a family care practitioner. Now, a stroke, mind you, the cause of the stroke was not determined. It would be reasonable to assume that most of the strokes in the elderly group would be due to emboli and that the rare event from a dissection, the worry of chiropractic manipulation of the neck where you tear the artery, might not be diagnosed. And that assumes that the patient would volunteer the visit to the chiropractor. It has been my experience that patients that have had a post-chiropractic stroke do not volunteer their visit or their manipulation, and you have to ask a direct question. Patients often do not volunteer visits to quacks in general. It's sort of like confessing that you listen to Michael Bolton or Celine Dion. Some things are just too embarrassing to admit. Oh, by the way, for the record, I listen to neither. Yeah, right. But in the over 45 age group, strokes due to chiropractor could be lost in a seed due to strokes from other reasons. And since we do not know if there was a dissection or emboli as the cause of strokes, it's hard to conclude that there were no extra strokes from chiropractic. The study was not powered to determine the rare event of a chiropractic event against the background of usual strokes in the elderly. I mean, the mean age in this study was 63. Elderly. Crap. I'm 51, and now I'm calling those in their 50s elderly. Damn it. But then I do have my ARUP card, so I can get cranky anytime I want for any reason I want. Damn kids with their tattoos and visible underwears and goatees and boomboxes. In my day, well, in my day, it was the day of the hippie, so I suppose I really don't have anything to complain about. Pop culture of my youth is far worse than the pop culture of today. But anyway, young people should not have a stroke. In the young, vertebral artery dissection is a common cause of a very rare event. It's also, again, the worry from chiropractic neck manipulation, a modified form of hanging. Remember, if done right, hanging doesn't choke you. The short fall and sudden stop is supposed to break your neck. And if you relax people, as they often do in the chiropractic office, you're more likely to have trauma than if they're tense and ready for the quick neck snap. You know, in the movies, they always show people suddenly breaking someone's neck to kill them. I think Rambo does that. I wonder if Rambo went to a chiropractor to learn how to do that. Anyway, if you could find an adverse effect from chiropractic, the place to look would be in the young. And they do. And the people who had an increased risk of stroke were those under age 45. It was a big association. The odds ratios were anywhere from 3 to 12. And the effect was most notable in the first 24 hours after seeing a chiropractor. Now, usually if you rip an artery, you are symptomatic right away. Again, we do not know if these patients had a dissection or not. We only know that they had a stroke of some sort very shortly after seeing a chiropractor. But if you were to predict that there was an association between chiropractic and stroke, you would most easily find it in the young 
and the effect would be most noticeable in the first day after a chiropractic visit because the young should not be having strokes, so a rare event would show up. And if you tear an artery, you're going to get symptomatic right away. And this article strongly confirms that association. Now note the word association. Association is not causation. If you want to prove causation, you would need a prospective study comparing stroke rates from patients who saw chiropractors versus those who did not visit chiropractors if you want to find causality. But if you are less than 45 and you visit a chiropractor, there is a strong association between that visit and a stroke in the next 24 hours. There is a table in the article that has the smoking gun. You got to read it carefully. But the highest odds ratio for a stroke is 12, four times that of any other odds ratio. And it occurs in age less than 45 in the first 24 hours after visit to a chiropractor. Part of what they do, by the way, in the study is kind of smear out the data by looking at stroke for a month after a chiropractic visit and diluting the effect of the first 24 hours after visit. Now, how do the authors deal with this data? They emphasize in the abstract, which is all anyone ever seems to read, is there equal stroke after visits to a chiropractor and primary care physicians. In their abstract, although they do mention it in the meat of the article, they do not bother to mention that there is an increased association in the young. You've got to read the discussion, which most people do not read. They account for this by suggesting that patients with headache and neck pain Symptoms of an incipient vertebral artery stroke lead people to seek care from their DC or their MD. In other words, they had a stroke in progress at the time they sought care. This is kind of like saying after a hanging, yes, the neck is broken, but it occurred on the steps on the way up to the scaffold. Now listen carefully for those of you who sent me this article. This is a hypothesis that they came up with to account for the data. This is spin. Most of the authors of this paper were doctors. There, I said it, and my tongue did not cleave to the roof of my mouth. Doctors of chiropractic, DCs. So they spun this article as best they could. But this hypothesis may be true, but it was not the design of the study to show this, and it's not proven by the data, since they have no clue as to why patients were visiting their doctors the study was not designed to show that result. It's a hypothesis from the study. People who do not read the article carefully take this hypothesis, and they call it a hypothesis in the paper, as the conclusion of the data. The patients had symptoms before they sought care, and their stroke was pre-existing. That it occurred before the visit is not proven by this study, and the study is not designed to show this. It will take another study to prove this hypothesis. My read of the paper is different. My spin is that the paper confirms that a population that should not be having a stroke, the young, has an increased risk association of having a stroke after visiting a chiropractor. And given the rarity of VBA dissection, the elderly is not a group where one could easily find a stroke after a chiropractic visit. To quote the paper, quote, We have not ruled out NIC manipulation as a potential cause of VBA strokes. On the other hand, now get this, it is unlikely to be a major cause of these rare events. Our results suggest that the association between chiropractic care and VBA stroke found in previous studies is likely explained by the presenting symptoms attributable to vertebral artery dissection, end quote. Nope. Now note the word major. I agree 
that chiropractic is not a major cause of stroke, at least in the elderly. In the young, your highest odds ratio are to have a stroke within the first 24 hours after visiting a chiropractor. Given the number of chiropractic visits and the rarity of a VVA tear, I agree. Chiropractic is probably a rare cause of a rare event. However, to have a stroke after the application of magical nonsense is one stroke too many. Now go to the website whatstheharm.com and peruse the chiropractic section. It is striking how many people had a stroke who were young who just had chiropractic neck manipulation. Of course, these are just anecdotes, and the plural of anecdote is anecdotes, not data. But wait, anecdotes are the prime proof of alt-med proponents, since evidence usually proves their pet quackery is a crock. To reframe it as Dr. Weil would, these strokes are, quote, uncontrolled clinical observations, unquote, not anecdotal evidence, and should have the same weight as clinical trials. Why do I think that proponents of modified hanging, I mean neck adjustment, will ignore these anecdotes and give credence to those anecdotes that show benefit. But given the two studies now that show an increase in stroke rates in the young after neck manipulation, I would not let a chiropractor anywhere near my neck. Here's also a difference between scams and real medicine. In real medicine, it takes much less data than this to bring a drug under scrutiny to decide if the benefits are worth the potential risk of therapy. In my own world of infectious diseases, there have been millions of doses of the antibiotic telithromycin, brand name Ketac, given, and only a handful of patients that have had liver failure and death from this antibiotic. Now, I would never give this antibiotic to anybody unless I had no other options, given that the potential risks, be that very small, are, in fact, potentially fatal. And this is for a therapy that actually works. I can't believe that giving therapy that doesn't work that causes a stroke would be allowed by anybody. Sandra Nett, who had neck manipulation by a chiropractor up in Canada, did a brainstem stroke and is now locked in. She can only move her eyes. Is suing not only the chiropractor, but the Canadian government for $500 million. She is suing the government as they supported chiropractic nonsense. She was 40 at the time. And I sure hope her lawyers find this article and read it. It supports their contention that chiropractic causes stroke. I mean, sorry, chiropractic is associated with stroke. Do I think that this study confirms that chiropractic causes stroke? You betcha. It is a form of modified hanging and is dangerous without adding benefit. So that's it. This has been another QuackCast. The references are on the website at www.quackcast.com. Send your hate mail and questions on quackery to knowitall at quackcast.com. It may eventually answer my email. Feedback is always of interest. My enormous ego thrives on the praise of others, but I wouldn't mind being called a tool of the medical industrial complex if you see fit. The music is by my son when he was 12, improvising on the guitar. If you need more Mark Chrislop, don't forget the Science-Based Medicine blog and my PUSCast, a review of infectious diseases that I do about twice a month. Thank you for listening. I'm going to go play some golf with my boys. Thank you. In dictation, goodbye. Thank you.